SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary-defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks, and we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850+, plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if, like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 plus Manuka honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's manukora.com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. <laughs> this week, as always, I'm joined by Stefan Jen. Hi. What's your tagline? Give me the fizzy. Sam Schultz is also here. Hello. What's your tagline? Sweet little grandpa. Sari Riley's here as well. Mm-hmm. And what's your tagline? Unicorn piss. Oh, Whoa, that's shit. the best. That's oh, a direction. I, that's what came to my brain. <laughs> that's the way oh, to no. do it. All you people coming in prepared, violent the sanctity of the tradition oh of the panic God. and then say <laughs> <Please>. something <laughs> <laughs> my tagline is the sanctity of the tradition yeah but one time your tagline was like yellow pants or something yeah like, and then the next time I, I gotta was like, prepare green pants <laughs> <laughs> every week on SciShow Tangents we get together to try to one-up amaze and delight each other with science facts we're playing for glory but we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week we do everything we can to stay on topic by which I mean not really but if you go on a tangent 
and the rest of the team deems it unworthy, we can dock you a sandbox. So tangent with care. Now always, we introduce this week's science topic with the traditional science poem. This week from Stefan. Step into this atrium of inquiry and science. Ooh, I like it so far. And let's take a look at one of the organs that's inside us. Mm. It's wondrous and constant, this four-valve appliance, <laughs> on which we've got quite a dire reliance. Oh, good. Our steady hearts carry on, keeping up the pace, delivering oxygen and removing metabolic waste. <laughs> a regular hum of badum badum pushing blood through the veins. A hearty thanks goes out to this pump for maintaining such consistent flow rates. But the heart's where you feel the burden when love goes down the drain. <laughs> and it also oh, no. sometimes gets to hurting when you eat too many spicy chicken wings. <laughs> but if you decide you want to run, it also picks up its speed because it knows that I've got a ton of hungry cells to feed. That's right. Wow. Thanks, heart. You just Aww. rhymed drain with wangs. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, that's how I say it in my you everyday do. life. Yeah, you do. I He's need some not chicken lying. wangs. Yeah, you'd say that all the time. Yeah. So it is Valentine's week here in in the world in America. I don't know how widely Valentine's Day is celebrated, but we wanted to do a Valentine's Day-ish thing. So we're doing hearts, but not like the metaphorical kind, the physical ones. And what is a a heart, Sari? It's like part of your circulatory system. It is made of cardiac muscle, which is different than the skeletal muscle Mm -hmm. on your your bones and different things. It has four chambers, like Stefan's poem. Not always. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, the human ones. Yeah, we talk about human hearts. Mammals, Mm. many birds. Yeah. Reptiles, you start getting into three. Other Mm -hmm. organisms, you get like five squeezy bits that you call a heart. (laughs) Yeah. And sometimes you get more than one heart in an organism. Mm -hmm. Octopi have three. What about animals that have that hemolymph stuff? Yeah, sometimes animals move their blood around with hearts and sometimes they move their blood around other ways where they just contract their body tissues to shove blood around. Mm. But that, like, a heart is a sort of a centralized system for moving, like, oxygen-containing fluid through a body. Or to get that fluid to be oxygenated. Yeah. Mm. Yes, that is an important part. Yes, because your heart, like, system, like, pumps it from your body into your heart to your lungs, back into the heart, back out into your body. This feels like one of the only episodes where we've like been able to f- definitively say, yeah. this is what this thing <laughs> is. Good idea what a heart is. It's hard Especially. to argue about what it is. Yeah. Too. I'm sure that there is somewhere in the animal kingdom some animals that have like weird, not quite heart tissue stuff. Mm-hmm. That's like worms and stuff. We'll talk about them later, but oh. they have like heart ish tissue that squeezes and that helps move blood around. And so some people call them hearts and some people are like, why not distribute the heart and just have all of my arteries and veins do like that's what our intestines that, yeah the do. way my intestines yeah. do some it. peristalsis there, yeah. that's the word I was looking for wow <laughs> I think it's because the heart is so energetically taxing so our cardiac muscle cells contain way more mitochondria than the rest of our muscle cells because like our heart never stops we can contract Mm. our muscles but we can like relax the rest of them but if your heart stopped contracting you would die and that's like (laughs) what happens during cardiac arrest or Mm -hmm. well that's like rhythm getting messed up but the energy it takes to have our in humans, four-chambered heart that can contract so regularly is a lot. So we have mitochondria generating a lot of ATP. And if all of our blood vessels were aligned with that, we would probably need to eat 
so much and right. probably mm. also sleep a lot mm. to recover from that. And we I be able love to do both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> you got the etymology of the heart? I did look up that. It all sounds like from words that look and sound sort of like heart, but it has relatives beginning with card and cord from Greek and Latin and French. So that's where like cardiac comes mm. from. Mm. But also other words like accord and oh. discord and Ooh. record. Those come from relationships between people. Right. So like accord is harmony between people. Mm. And so it's like an agreement of the heart. Oh, um, that's lovely. Never touch your heart to another person's heart, though. Will they like shock each other? <laughs> No, it's just gross. <laughs> you gotta open your whole rib cage. It's hard. Which brings me to my. We've got a panelist. It's me who's prepared three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. And the other panelists have to figure out either by deduction or wild guess which is the true fact. If you do, you get a sandbuck. And if you don't, then I get your sandbuck. And I would like to tell y'all about open heart surgery. Hmm. So this started being done a while ago and really sort of gained prominence and was done frequently starting in the 50s. So here's the thing. Open heart surgery, just for clarity, is not when the heart is open, it's when the chest is open. Mm. So it is open heart surgery. You're usually doing heart surgery on the heart or the circulatory system when you're doing this. But there's a problem, which is that you don't want to do a surgery on a thing that's moving around. So you stop the heart during open heart surgery, mm. but you don't want to stop a heart because then people die. So the patient's heart has to be stopped, but then you have a machine called a heart-lung machine that takes over the job of circulating and oxygenating the blood. One of the pioneers of open-heart surgery was Dr. Clarence Walton Lillehay, who performed the, his first open-heart surgery in the 1950s. And while techniques since then have come a long way, thankfully, it made the process safer, Dr. Lillehay took advantage of what was available at the time to make his life-saving surgery possible, including one of the following strange-but-true approaches. Ooh. Fact number one, Dr. Lillehay enlisted the help of a local ice cream parlor studying their soda fountain because he wanted to understand how it moved liquids around and combined it with the carbon dioxide gas, adapting that soda machine into a machine that would transport and oxygenate the patient's blood during the surgery. Hmm. Number two, Dr. Lillehay would cool down the operating room to a frigid temperature before beginning surgery, so the patient would lay in the room as their body temperature decreased, allowing for them to have more time to do the surgery before the brain damage would occur, and then it would come in, and they all the nurses and doctors would like be dressed warmly <laughs> to do the surgery. Or... Fact number three, Dr. Lillehay recruited a person to serve as the human heart-lung machine, connecting uh. the patient to the donor through a pump so that the patient's blood flow would be routed from their body into the donors where it was oxygenated by their lungs and their heart and then pumped back into the person who was having the surgery done on them. That is the one that I hope is the one. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got, he was inspired to create a heart-lung machine by an ice cream parlor soda fountain, or fact number two, he cooled down the temperature to keep the patient hypothermic so that they wouldn't go brain dead as quickly, or number three, he used a person instead of a heart-lung machine to be a, a, a living blood oxygenator. 
Can you explain number two to me why that helps? So when your body slows down, like your metabolism slows Mm -hmm. and your body doesn't use the oxygen up as fast. So the existing oxygen in the in the tissues would last longer, allowing them to do like a like 15 minutes of surgery instead of five minutes of surgery. Okay, okay, okay. So they still have to work really fast. Okay. And we do that now. Sort of with some things, like yeah. Slowing, yeah. I feel like you've talked the about body. it. Yeah, in previous brain related something. Maybe it's like in like trauma, like hardcore trauma yeah. situations, mm-hmm. right? They when need, you have to, they do need a more lot, time. Yeah, to a fix lot the, of stuff to fix yeah. the people, and things are broken enough that you can't just stick them on a machine. Okay, mm-hmm. so that sounds plausible. <laughs> I really wanted to be hooking up to a different animal, though. I just imagine though, like that's a person. It's a person, right? <laughs> well, I could, I, <laughs> when I was running through it in my mind, I was like, you could do it, like a cow, like, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever. They got so much blood. <laughs> yeah, uh, it but, would have to go into their arteries and veins, though, so the blood would yeah. mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, well, that. Could could be good. Yeah. Well, yeah. Get you some know? cow blood in there. Yeah. That never goes wrong. <laughs> Don't put cow blood inside of you. I'm not a doctor, but I know that that's bad. <laughs> What'll happen? It's probably okay. That one where you hook somebody up to you sounds very familiar to me, mm. but I feel like it's Mad from Max. like a Star Trek or something. Yes, man, man. Oh, yeah, Maybe that's yeah. what I'm thinking of. But I feel like if you were hooked up to someone, like if you were the, the human blood machine person, mm-hmm. you would have to like breathe a lot more. Right, and your part would be pumping harder. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, seems like it'd be you got more distance. There's got to go. be some hazard pay, maybe. I don't know, Siri. What seems the most plausible? Yeah, you're being really quiet. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm like trying to wrap my head around these because I'm getting too in my head about mm, them. Like uh-huh. this sounds plausible, but this part sounds fake. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's how I lose truth or fail. <laughs> and you really, time. you really should get this one right. I feel like I feel like I should, but <laughs> that is the pressure that I feel every episode. The cold one makes sense to me. For the reasons Stefan described, but that's also feels like it makes a good lie. I'd be worried about open heart surgery being cold. Yeah. Like maybe mm. freezer burn your dang heart. Oh, and like the surgeon, like when I'm trying to play games and my apartment is cold, ooh, like you lose so finger slow. dexterity. Like, <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. It's bad. I also think that the human sounds really cool. I feel like it wouldn't be additional strain beyond like exercise and there are probably huh. family members oh. that'd be like oh yeah i would give my blood i would stand in the surgery room is that too complicated a thing for them to have done back then probably not i guess i don't, we know. Were I don't know we did almost blood- on the moon that's true we were a decade <laughs> off from the moon or two or whatever i don't know yeah i feel like people did blood transfusions just like person to person yeah. instead of like blood bags oh, so they would right. be like Here's my blood that is now used for trauma medicine, but used to be like the standard for mm-hmm. that kind of treatment. The soda one, it sounds so dumb. It doesn't even sound like you have to like go ask somebody who owned an ice cream parlor. You just read about it in a book, be like, oh, that's but he's a doctor too. This dude yeah. would know how it would work, right? No, that's not, that one sounds like something that would happen in the 50s. When like, they didn't have the internet? Like, <laughs> doctors are not engineers. And so, like, you'd have an engineer who designs a soda machine, and then uh-huh. the doctor's like, how does this work? Maybe right. I can do something <laughs> with tubes to let me okay. work on the heart. I don't know. I believe it even less than I did before. <laughs> Specifically, the dissolving. Like, how do you get carbon dioxide into mm-hmm. soda versus how do you get oxygen? And I don't know where they would get. If they had just like vials of oxygen, probably. Yeah. I, I know nothing. The history okay. is like squished into a, like one plane. Yeah. Everything happened at the same yeah. time. Everything that happened before I was born yeah. is the same. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to make you guys guess. I'm not okay. going first. Uh, you go well, first. I'm going to choose the 
the human heart. Human machine. pump man. Human pump man. I'm going to choose Ah Freak. The human heart man. Human pump man. Oh, no. I'm going to choose. I don't like it, but the cold one, I guess. I don't want to give Hank three points. Sarah, you convinced them the right answer. You did it, and then you didn't get it. Oh, no! (laughs) Well, not only did Sarah, you got it, like, it it was almost always a family member. Yeah. Oh. And, like, you had the whole, and it was like, it was like exercise. It was like a little bit of extra work. You're so smart. Yeah, you had everything right. I just didn't want the risk. (laughs) (laughs) I overthought it, like I always do. (laughs) I thought my facts were so good this time. I mean, I was all on board with the soda fact. I yeah. thought that sounded super right. It to fell me. apart under scrutiny. I feel like so he did. He did help create the bubble oxygenator, which went on to replace the human body pump. But it was not inspired by a soda fountain. Number two thing they did used to before Doctor Lillehay, they would sunk like sink the patient into a horse feeding trough full of ice before doing open heart surgery. Hmm. So that is pretty real. But they didn't probably, for practicality reasons, and maybe they didn't want to get their hands cold and like be bad surgeons, they didn't cool down the whole room. And then, yeah, so the the real person, uh, it was called cross-circulation, and he did over 45 heart surgeries on children using that system, and the donor was typically the parent. Little body. Yeah. It'd no be problem. easy to support a child. I yeah, no, no worries. They have very little <laughs> blood. So the blood was routed from the patient's heart through a single pump to the donor's femoral artery Whoa. and then fed back into the patient with the, with the same pump. And that is similar to how a fetus is kept alive inside, inside of a pregnant person. Oh. Now, now, part of the reason this works is because you don't need to have like 100% blood flow. So during the procedure, it was about one-third the normal rate of blood flowing through them. And 62% of the people who came in for the surgery were discharged from the hospital, which means that a lot of people did not live through it, but they Uh were people with very serious Mm. conditions that he was operating on. And 49% of those people were alive 30 years later, which is extremely impressive considering the severity of the conditions he was working on. But they moved away from it because of safety and ethics concerns for the Uh donor because it did turn out to be fairly dangerous. And one of the donors had some kind of an embolism, so like an air embolism that led to a stroke and I think survived but was disabled because of it. That had developed because of the process? Because of the, okay. the donation process that they were using. So they invented the bubble oxygenator so that they could oxygenate blood without a pair of human lungs. I think we use those in fish tanks too. And we, yeah, it's, it's actually very similar. <laughs> Next up, we're going to take a short break. Then it's time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. 
but Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. Slash Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as (laughs) the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the 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 part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, <laughs> yeah. Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know, I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my basement <laughs> of my own home okay. that I was renting, the downstairs okay. of. <laughs> if you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Welcome back, everybody. Sam Buck totals. Sari has none. I'm tied with Sam with one, and Stefan's got two. <laughs> now get ready for the fact off. Two panelists have brought science facts to present to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a Sam Buck to award the fact that they like the most. To decide who's going to go first, we've got a trivia question. The blue whale has the slowest heart rate of any mammal. The fastest heart rate in the animal kingdom goes to the blue-throated hummingbird. What mammal has the fastest heart rate of any mammal, just slightly slower than the hummingbird? One, the mole rat. Two, the hedgehog. Three, the shrew. Or four, the jerboa. Sam, you go first. What's a jerboa? It's the mammal with the fastest heart rate, in fact. <laughs> Is it? You're going with Jerboa? Sure. Okay, he's going with Jerboa. 
What do you think, Sari? A shrew, maybe? Yeah, I would have said shrew. The answer is a shrew. Hey! Oh, nice. There is an object that was put in a glass jar filled with maybe cognac or was some brownish alcohol. It was not a jerboa. <laughs> it was smuggled from Paris, France to Warsaw, Poland in 1849 and has pretty much remained sealed in a pillar in a crypt at the Holy Cross Church until close to midnight on April 14th, 2014, when 13 people, including an archbishop, a culture minister, and just two scientists were allowed to look at it, taking over a thousand pictures and adding wax to the jar's seal to keep it tight. That object is Chopin's heart. (gasps) What? (laughs) (laughs) Because on his deathbed, he apparently wanted his heart to be buried in Poland, even though his body was in France, because, I don't know, symbolism, he wanted his heart to be in his home country. Mm -hmm. And then it's very precious to them now because it's been protected this whole time. And even this inspection was mostly kept secret with no released public photographs and those two scientists getting to go were mostly because they were bugging, it seemed like, them to like look at the heart mm-hmm. because they wanted to answer a key question, which is what he died from. Hmm. He was a sickly man throughout his life, but it's sort of a mystery what disease killed Chopin from things like cystic fibrosis or tubo- tuberculosis. And ultimately, it would be great to do a genetic tests to figure out what happened to the tissue. But for now, this like couple hour glimpse at his heart in the dark of night in secret in a crypt is the best we've got. The researchers say that the heart was massively enlarged and floppy. That's a quote. And had <laughs> well, whitish it's, it's, it's hundreds of years old. Yeah. <laughs> and had whitish fibrillary covering around the heart tissue, which they attributed to a condition called pericarditis, mm. which is inflammation that could have been the result of long-lasting tuberculosis. Hmm. So, the two scientists that actually took pictures of it and wrote a research paper as of 2017 said mystery solved probably tuberculosis that's where i thought my fact would end but i was like double checking just to make sure there's a 2019 paper that says the things that the 2017 paper used to diagnose his death with tuberculosis need a closer examination so like histology some sort of tissue analysis or even something non-invasive like a high magnification microscopy or a CT scan or just like tipping the jar around to help tell whether the whitish deposits <laughs> happened before or after the death. That doesn't they're, seem allowed. And yeah, they're just trying to get in there. Yeah, that's what it seems like to me. This person's like, I want to see the heart. Yeah. I want to see Chopin's heart. And shake it around. <laughs> why, were, why don't they just let people see the freaking heart? To... Polish people, it is like a very important artifact because he was such a great artist. That's and fine. They'll be careful. The, the Statue of Liberty is very important to America, and we, we st- let people see it. Yeah, we yeah. hang out. hang out. It's in a head. little bit big, though, to like <laughs> hide away or yeah. like drop on the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess yeah. so. Hard to break. I think they're worried that the alcohol inside yes. will evaporate. That was my yeah. next question. I um, gotta drink it. <laughs> I just want to get drunk on Chopin's heart. That would be extremely powerful. Oh my god! Yeah. Excellent. Thank you. And it's Sam's turn. Yeah. So I have a fun story that turns into not a fun story very suddenly at the end. Cardiac catheterization. Is that how you say it? Catheterization. Yeah, there good we job. go. Is a procedure where a teeny catheter, aka a tube, is run through an artery or vein all the way to your heart. 
And there are lots of life-saving and preventative uses for this procedure, including installing pacemakers. You can also perform angioplasties with it, and a variety of tests and measurements can be performed using a catheter. So basically, it's a vital part of heart medicine, but in order to convince the medical establishment that it was possible, its inventor had to go to extreme lengths. So Werner Forsman was a 24-year-old, recently graduated doctor. He was like less than a year out of medical school, working at a hospital in Eberswald, Germany in 1929. And he was inspired by a medical illustration of a horse having its veins catheterized. And he wanted, he tried to, he started like scheming up ways that he could do that to people because he, <laughs> he saw what it was helpful for in horses. Did it, did it, it was, they were using it actively on horses? Uh-huh, they were doing stints and stuff in horses. What? They could blow up little balloons in there. What? So you'd think that if they were doing it on horses, that they yeah. would say, let's do it on people. But at the time, it was a commonly held belief that any tampering with the heart was basically instant death for people. Unless I guess they thought their hearts were more important than horses. Hearts, right? Like, okay. I mean, I guess they are. It's you know, probably right. stuff with like the soul in human hearts. Maybe. Well, what year was this? 1929. Oh, but that, 20s. but that belief had, was something that had carried over from like the middle of the 1800s. Mm. Somebody had written something like, "Don't mess with this, or you'll die." And then since then, it seemed like everybody <laughs> was not messing with the heart. So pretty much, there was like no progress made in heart research for a long time. So he tried it out on some cadavers, and it was working okay. And when he was ready, he asked his superiors if he could start doing it on patients, and they said no. So he conceived of a little plan. They said no. You're 24. <laughs> yeah. Well, then he did what a 24 year old would do. Exactly. He convinced the OR nurse with the keys to the medical equipment storage room that his idea was really good and that she should help him. So she agreed to secretly <laughs> help him in in the middle of the wow. night and. And she offered herself as a test subject. (gasps) So he strapped her down. He anesthetized her arm and made a cut. Then, unbeknownst to her, he sliced his own arm and started doing it on himself because he couldn't make himself do it on her, I think. Like, he didn't feel right about it. So she was strapped down and saw him doing it. And she was, like, freaking out. And he was shoving the thing up his own vein. And he had cut a length that he thought was the length it would take to get to his heart. And when he got to just about that length, he unstrapped her from the table. They went to the x-ray room together. And they stood in front of the fluoroscope, which is like a live x-ray. And she held a mirror up to it. And he finished shoving it in all the way because it was only to his shoulder. So he had to keep feeding it. And he could feel it hit his heart. And he said it made him feel like he had to cough. And while he was doing this, one of his friends found out he was doing it, and they ran in, and they tried to pull it out of his arm. <laughs> but then he, no. quote, overpowered that person. <laughs> and he got it in one of, like, the chambers, and oh. it was, and it worked. And he didn't die instantly. So he told his bosses, and he got in some hot water, but they let him start trying it on patients. And eventually, he went to a bigger hospital to continue his work, but he had been publishing papers that some people in the medical community didn't like, and he was kind of fired with that explanation. Mm-hmm. So then he floated around working at other hospitals uh, until World War II when he joined the Nazi party. Oh, <laughs> I was wondering when the, the bad yeah. twist was coming. Yeah. And he got captured by the U.S. really early on, I think, and held as a POW until the end of the war. But during his imprisonment, a French and American doctor were using his research to, like, build upon and they started to come up with all kinds of ways to use this process he had made up uh, and then when he when he got out of being a POW a few years later he won the Nobel Prize so I guess he never really got in that big of trouble yeah. for being a Nazi <laughs> so oh, that's boy. the end of my story yeah, but he did it to himself he strapped a lady down he was 24 though so <laughs> you're not making great choices well, there's probably a lot of 24 year olds who listen to this podcast and I just want to say 
You're doing great. I hated being 24. That was a mm. bad time for me. Like my mid 20s were very bad. So I'm sorry. Well, 24 was maybe my worst year too. 24 was last year. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? Um, it was actually like pretty shitty. So <laughs> 25 <laughs> is better. Yeah, 24 right. year olds out there. Yeah, yeah. it gets better. From <laughs> <laughs> a ripe old age of 25. <laughs> so we've got Sari with Chopin's heart treated as a holy relic and inside of a pillar and it was floppy and massively enlarged. <laughs> or Sam with Dr. Werner Forsman who created oh. catheterization. He did it on himself first and he also fought off a person who wanted to stop him and then he became a Nazi. Or maybe he was a Nazi the whole time. He's who probably knows? a yeah. Nazi the whole time. Yeah, yeah. I suspect. Then won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Still a Nazi though. Yeah. All right. You ready Ready to vote, stuff? Yes. I'll count you down. Yeah. Three, two, one. Sari. What the Ooh, What on earth? I know. I was surprised. I was, I was pretty sure. <laughs> I that do not. enjoy thinking about catheters, but yeah, the enlarged heart in a jar. His like in cognac, like dead. Oh. Drink and what were the heart I also, juice, Sam? Join <laughs> us. <laughs> I disagree with this. I'm gonna start a poll. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, think that I bet if you if you took like the whole average of the world, you you would have come out mm, on top. Yeah. But in this room. This is a classic I, case of like important medical discovery versus weird old facts. Weird things. Yeah. And I have lost several fact offs to weird old facts. So. And yeah. Sarah's Sir, going weird. I mean, yours is a weird old fact too. Yeah. He fought off a guy. He tied a woman down to a table for some reason, sliced her arm open and didn't use it. I know. I told the story. I know it already. Uh, <laughs> that's that's fine. It's a conspiracy it's to make the me curse be in last of the place. Sandbook. And now it's time to ask the science couch. We've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. It comes from at Clubjaw. Squids, octopi, and worms can have multiple hearts. What advantage would we as humans gain by having multiple hearts? Also, where would you want your second heart to be? In or outside your body? <laughs> <laughs> so it could be anywhere inside or outside my oh. body. If I had a second heart, I would want it to be in, inside of cognac in a and a can inside a pillar in Poland. I would want mine to be in like a fake android body somewhere that's pumping blood through it to Ooh. keep it alive so that when my heart fails, mm. I will have a replacement there oh. waiting for me and they're just like, ship Sari's second heart to her. Wee, 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 wee. And then the huh. android just dies? Yeah. What's going on there? Why does it need Why to be in an, an android? android? <laughs> Why did you create a life <laughs> just to kill it? It's just like, okay, I didn't see I missed so Andrew. Human shaped box. Right, okay. Why human shaped box. Why is it so Yeah, it's creepy. Why don't you make it adorable baby seal shaped just so we can be more yeah. freaked out about it? Check this idea out. Yeah. I, I kind of want like a little compartment maybe in, near the you know, on, on my flank. Uh-huh. A <laughs> Just a little compartment and I can open it up and like stick different organs in there. So oh, if I need an extra kidney yeah, or if I'm like this. going out to the bar, I'm like double up the liver. Let's go. Yeah. Or if I'm going to exercise double hearts, let's, let's get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's like, a, it's modular. You know that horses have a heart in every foot kind of? What? Yeah. They, they have like a little cushion system that when they when they hit their foot on the ground it pushes blood up their legs so like when they run they sort of like have assistance oh. in pushing their blood around there's a oh. adaptation that appears to uh, help them run longer I think that's my feet actually idea. sounds like the best mm-hmm. one let's do it is there an advantage <laughs> to having multiple hearts it doesn't seem like it so it seems like any animal that has multiple hearts has it because their heart is not 
as powerful as ours. Mm -hmm. For example, octopuses have three hearts. They have one central systemic heart that supplies blood to the body, and then they have two branchial hearts that push the blood toward the gills. So they have like separate hearts for each part of the process. Like a pulmonary heart. Yeah. Our four chambers handle like pumping out to the lungs and pumping to the body. Worms have five aortic arches that squeeze blood into different vessels, like either to the front body vessels or the back body vessels. They just kind of like squeeze. Mm -hmm. So it seems like like nature does do multiple hearts, but human hearts have evolved intentionally and are pretty much going at the max capacity they can. Mm -hmm. We're doing it good. We're doing it good. But we can't get much bigger. No, uh, someone asked a physiologist this, and so I'm just going to steal his answer, where it's like adding a second heart probably wouldn't do much. Sometimes heart transplants, you don't actually get the whole heart replaced. You get like a piggyback heart grafted on (gasps) to help. So the donor heart does most of the beating while the original heart pumps less. There's two hearts in you. Yes. But if you just like had two hearts in you your body might get used to the second heart and then you, your muscles might get more blood and you might get stronger over time. Like, it would just mean pumping blood more. Uh-huh. Let's fill Stefan up with hearts. See what happens. Yeah. Can't have enough. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like one sort of experiment, but I don't think scientists pursued it very long. But when we're embryos, our heart is actually two. It's called the primordia uh, Mm -hmm. is what the heart is called at that stage and then eventually fuses into like the four-chambered thing that is in our chests there's probably certain circumstances in which humans could develop two hearts if like something goes awry during development but there Mm -hmm. are probably other things going awry that Mm -hmm. would not lead to the most robust health as an adult Mm -hmm. so mostly like even though we have really good places to put our second hearts A second copy of our heart probably wouldn't do much. But if we had like squeezy tubes, Mm -hmm. like a worm or like a horse does in its feet, that might help because that just like helps squish blood where it needs Mm, to go a little bit Mm -hmm. faster. And now Stefan has a a correction. (laughs) (laughs) It was pointed out to me on Twitter by at Emily Janet Six that in our music episode, I mentioned that or I said that 440 hertz is middle C, but it is not middle C. It is the A note that is above middle C. Oh. I really blew it. Oh, I was no. too excited to be oh, on the science. That hurts. I knew it was wrong, but I was too embarrassed. <laughs> I was too embarrassed for you to correct you. <laughs> yeah, all of us, all of us knew it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you are all laughing at. <laughs> Just let them be wrong. <laughs> if you want to ask the science couch your questions, follow us on Twitter at Scishow Tangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at. MFFairy11 at CrystalR99 and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this week. Final scores. Sari and Stefan are tied with two. Me and Sam came out with one. Hmm. Which means that Sari and Stefan are tied for the lead overall. What the heck? Yeah, I uh, came in three points under them and Sam two points under me. Oh, wow. I could have been tied with you. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. You can leave us a review wherever you listen. That lets us know what you like about the show. Also, you can put topic ideas in your iTunes reviews. We look for those there. Second, you can tweet out your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want 
to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell people, people about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sarah Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is a co-production of Complexly and the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Deboki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish. Our social media organizer is Victoria Bongiorno. And we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. When you have a really big, satisfying poop, the Uh-oh. stool could activate the vagus nerve, which uh-huh. is involved in the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh-huh. So it can cause your heart rate and therefore blood pressure to drop, which leads to mild lightheadedness and good feels called pooforia by Dr. <sighs> Anish Sheth in his book. But if there's What's too the much book, what's your poo telling you? Listen oh, to your poop. Basically. I've heard of this book, actually. But he warns if there's too much lightheadedness, it could potentially lead to fainting while pooping called defecation syncope. Pooforia, according to the Internet, is also called a stool high. Don't do drugs, kid. Just get a poo high. <laughs> yeah. Just let him useful, man.